this evening is October 1st. It is 2008. Our message is uh, DOOR, D-O-O-R. If you uh, are the note-taking kind, by the way, those of you that have been praying for our school, praise God for that. Thank you. Uh, others of you have been praying for your pastor to learn Hebrew. Thank you for that. I'm dreaming now in Hebrew. I'm waking up in the morning with it on my mind. The only problem is I need to go find some uh, Jews because I have nobody to talk to. And my wife is sick of hearing how to say bread, milk, apple. You know, he writes, she writes, he ran, she ran. Crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, you know, there are a lot of words in Hebrew that sound just like the English word, but mean something completely opposite. So, thank you for praying for me. Uh, it's been an open door in my life. Turn to John 10. By the way, don't stop praying for me. Uh, just because I can memorize a few words and I'm starting to learn some verb tenses, I'm pretty darn far from being able to speak comprehensibly. Yes? Amen. That little Emmy. An award-winning baby. Yeah, and Nicholas is doing better, no longer sick. <laughs> okay, in John 10, start with me in verse uh, 6. Uh, Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Don't you love it in the Bible when they give you a parable and nobody gets it, but then the writer gives you the explanation? I like it so much we're going to skip the parable and go straight to the explanation. It says, Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. We've covered before the Hebrew phrase behind have life to the full. It means life that is the result of a very full stomach, being well nourished. To a Hebrew, having a full stomach meant that you were guaranteed to live. But tonight our message is about a door. This in the NIV says, I am the gate. In the King James it says, I am the door. This is a translation from something that came down in Greek. And in Greek the word is thura. And basically, it means a gate, a door, a gateway, an opening of some kind. It's an argument whether or not it has to have hinges and all of those things, but because NIV saw the context was a sheet pen, and a sheet pen usually doesn't have something wooden with a doorknob on it, they chose gate. But the word that Jesus would have used speaking in Hebrew is pesach. And what is really interesting about this, the Hebrew word for door, is it shows up in the most unusual places. Keep in mind, Jesus said, I am the door. Now let's go to Genesis 4. Let's look at one of the first occurrences of it. You can think of Jesus as the door, the gate, or how about this one? The way. When you find out something like that in the Bible, it behooves you then to look and see the other places and times and circumstances under which it's mentioned. In Genesis 4, starting 6 verse, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. 
It desires to have you, but you must master it. I enjoy having a front door on my house. Most of you know it's never locked. Uh, a lot of you just walk in and that's fine. We, we do that on purpose. We want you to feel like our house is your house. But have you ever had an occasion in which you enjoyed locking your door? Was there ever a time in which you went to the door, looked through the hole and were glad that there was a deadbolt on it and you didn't have to answer it? See, a door is on a house for a reason. It's to let in people you want and keep out people you don't want. This is why we have doors. God speaks to Cain and says, Hey, Cain, sin is crouching at your door, but you must master it. Do you know what this means? This means that God put between Cain and sin a barrier. A barrier that He calls a door and that we find out in the New Testament is Jesus or the Word of God. And in this, what Cain has the opportunity to do is be shielded from sin's desires. To be shielded from the control of sin. To be shielded from the manipulation of sin. As long as Cain is standing where he's at, there is a door between him and sin. This gives him the chance to think about how he's going to handle the next situation. It gives him the chance to meditate on what God's Word says and find power over it. When we think of Jesus being the Pethach, the door, we need to realize that He is what stands between us and danger. He gives you the opportunity to think through and see how you would handle something by examining His way of life, by examining what He's done, so that while Cain is meditating in his anger... He has the opportunity to cast it down. He's not a brute beast, a slave to his desires. Turn with me to Genesis 6. We shall see another door. In Genesis 6, look at the 16th verse. Make a roof for it and finish it, the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door on the side of the ark and make a lower and middle and upper deck. It's an interesting thing that you would have a big door in the middle of a boat, isn't it? But God wanted people to have a means by which to enter this. They wouldn't have to be climbing up trees and ladders and jumping down on the decks. God made there an easy way to enter into salvation, something called a door. Scan down with me then to the 7th chapter and 16th verse. I think it's 16. Starting, yeah, no, not 16, 7. Oh, sorry, 15. Pairs of all creatures that have breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female, every living thing that God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. God put a door that represents salvation and is Jesus on the side of something meant to save all of mankind. But there came a day in which that very thing that was meant to save mankind became their obstacle and the thing that prevented them from being saved. 
How do you think these people dealt with the fact that once God shuts this door on the ark and water is rising, they now want to get on it and can't? The same thing that was an open passageway, a way for salvation, a way to master sin and escape judgment, now is a barrier that forces them to fall under judgment. Friends, does that not sound like the cross? The very thing that stands before us all now is a way to be saved. A way to escape God's judgment and to master sin will be the very thing that condemns people who wait a singular day too long. How about Genesis 19? Let's look at another door in the Scripture. I'd say the doors, but it has absolutely nothing to do with Jim Morrison. In Genesis 19... Most of you know this story. It is when Lot and his family are in Sodom and Gomorrah. We will pick up in the 10th verse. No, we will pick up in the 9th verse. Wow, not enough time. We will look up in the 6th verse. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, do not do this wicked thing. Lot is safe inside of a house. Well, who is inside a house with him? His family. Those whom God's entrusted to his care. But Lot goes outside of his home to a place where there are homosexual offenders and wicked people. And when he does, he shuts the door behind him and says, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do to them whatever you like. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. And they said, this fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside, i.e. angels, reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. God has provided for us, just like He did Cain, an obstacle between us and sin. When we walk through that obstacle, when we disobey by not only not entering an ark, but once we're in the ark saying, you know, it's kind of cramped in here, it feels confining, and I know it's all meant for my protection and meant for my good, but I think I'll hang out outside for a while. It's not beginning to rain yet. This is similar to what Lot did. And look how twisted and perverse his thinking is. As soon as he gets out, listen to the kind of suggestion the man has. He's meant to dwell inside the protection of the house with the men of God, but he has stepped outside of the protection of his own home where God has called him to be and established him as head. And look at his suggestion. Well, you could abuse my daughters a while. Does that sound perverse to you? But praise God, when we're not in our right minds, when we have strayed from what God has called us to, when we are on the wrong side of the gate, His great mercy will reach out a hand and pull you back in. If that happens on Monday, how stupid do we look if on Tuesday we're doing the same thing? See, this is an example of great, great, Mercy. Lot willingly walks out the door that was put there as a barrier between him and the wickedness. 
And the grace of God, when he found himself on the wrong side of the door, pulled him back. Come on, am I not preaching to anybody? I know what that is to be on the wrong side of the door. Have you ever been locked out of your own car? You've been locked out of your own house? Especially not nice if it's raining, is it? There is no worse feeling in the world than being on the wrong side of a barrier that God has placed. And yet, He pretty frequently says in His Scripture, Ask me, I'll open it for you. We find out that our God is a welcoming God. We find out that our God doesn't want any to perish. We find out that even when we know better and we mess up, He will send an angel to pull you back if you are only willing. Jesus is meant to be a barrier, a buffer, a demilitarized zone between you and the world so that no harm will come near you and so that you can master sin. Turn with me to Exodus 12. It's important to me with mamas that have made sacrifices to be here with their babies. It's important to me with my little boys that still have their homework left to do to not go too terribly late. So with some of these, I'm going to give you Scripture references and you're going to get a condensed version, but you really will sell yourself short if you don't go look these up and study this because this is a fine message. And any other preacher in his right mind would sell it for 19.99 on TV. Or preach the first 30 minutes of it and make you wait for the next. I just don't have it in me. I want to give you everything I have every time I see you. In Exodus 12, we find out that the Israelites were to take the blood of the Lamb and they were to mark their doors. Your door is a very public face for your home. In fact, when people come to your house, we lay out welcome mats and we put signs on our doors that say, the Stevens live here, the Kinchins live here, the Callahans, the Richards, the Halls, because our front door says something about us. If it didn't, why do you pay so much for them? Why did you not just get a steel door and could care less what color it is? It's the first public thing people see about you. If Jesus is the door that God has given you, people need to see that you are covered in the blood of the Lamb. This needs to be a mark on the door. In Exodus 21, 4-6, which I will not read to you, we find out that there would be nail marks on your door. And the nail marks would be because when we found out we didn't have to serve God out of just an obligation out of some sense of legalistic righteousness, but that we could serve Him simply because we knew He had freed us and we loved Him. On the front door of an Israelite's home, when such a thing happened, you pierced your ear on the door of the house. And when people came up and saw a mark there, they went, that must have been when Jacob was set free but stayed and served out of love. That must have been when Bob was set free and served out of love. Your front door of your home said something about you, and it said something about your God. We are Jesus to people. When they see our lives, they are seeing something about Jesus. The question is, how accurate is the picture? Is it of the atoning blood that takes you from death into life? 
Is it of the selfless sacrifice that makes you a servant of love rather than obligation to religion? Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 tells the Israelites to write the very words of God upon the doors of their houses so that the first thing people see when they walk to the door is the Word of God. God has put Himself as a barrier between us and sin. And what does He ask us to do? On that barrier, show people that it's the blood that has protected you. On that barrier, show people that a piercing took place so that you could serve Me out of love. On that barrier... Write my very words for them to read. In fact, in Isaiah, the 40th chapter and 2nd verse, we find out that God says all of Israel's hard service has been paid for. God has paid her double for her sins. And I've taught you in the past that the Hebrew word for double was kephel. And it doesn't mean to multiply. It means to double over. On the front door of your house, the barrier between you and sin that everyone would walk by and look at, they would see that your debts had been folded from bottom to top and paid for. Jesus is supposed to advertise something through your life, that He pays for people's debts, that He was pierced so that you can serve Him out of love rather than obligation, that His blood has caused you to pass from death to life, and that His very Word instructs people on both sides of the barrier. Some for judgment and some for salvation. In Isaiah, the 57th chapter, the 7th and 8th verse, God speaking to His people says, I want you to know that I see what happens behind your closed doors. I see the sin that is hidden and the pagan idolatry that is there. There are people that use Jesus merely as a get-out-of-jail-free card. And in the business world, when I mention Jesus, people always get uncomfortable because the last person in the business world that mentioned Jesus to them also shafted them on a business deal. So when you begin talking about Jesus, they begin getting nervous because what they think is that you're putting up a barrier that says I'm religious because behind it, you're hiding something perverse. Truthfully, our front door advertises Jesus, every one of us. And unfortunately, at times, there have been things in every one of our lives that don't represent Jesus. But one of the neatest things that could have possibly happened is in Hosea. Let's turn to Hosea. If you can give me all of your attention for just a few more minutes, you may never look at the front door of your household the same again. Hosea 2 and the 14th verse. I would normally wait, but I'm going to trust you just to get there. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. We're talking about someone who had found themselves on the wrong side of the door or hiding behind the door but with wicked things behind it. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards. And I will make the valley of Achor. Achor means trouble in Hebrew. I will make the valley of trouble a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day that she came out of Egypt. In other words, the day she first got saved. 
In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me... This word here is Baal. I know it says master in your Bible. It's Baal. And you can read the next couple verses and it couldn't be any more clear it's Baal. Do you really think Israel ever called God Baal? No, they didn't. But in their actions, they did. They treated him like any other idol that you could obey sometimes and not other times. God made a promise, though. It's much like the promise that was, you see, acted out in Lot's life. He says, it's true, Israel. You've been on the wrong side of the door or you've been shut up in your house, but truthfully, there was wickedness in it. He said, so I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to lure you like when you were young and we first went out into the desert together. See, God married Israel in the desert at Mount Sinai and He made oaths to her. And He said, and I'm going to speak tenderly to you again. And the valley that has been such trouble to you will suddenly become a door of hope. There's a message here, saints. Jesus is not here to be shut up, to be barred up so that the whole world dies. That is going to happen. But He's speaking tenderly to His people, saying, today, while it is a day of salvation, please come, be reconciled with Me. It'll be like when you were first born again. It'll be like when we used to walk together in the garden. And He's trying to allure us. This is why it's not all hellfire and brimstone. This is why it's not all overwhelming torrents. This is why the Holy Spirit speaks kind and encouraging and sweet words. It's not because your sin is any less vile. It's because He desires to be reconciled with you and He'll make you strong. Turn with me to Matthew and we will finish in the New Testament. This would be the seventh chapter in the seventh verse. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. The door is an immovable barrier between you and sin. But all you need do is ask on either side of it and it will be opened. Because God gives you what you want in a greater measure than you asked for it. So if you're on the outside and what you want is in, He will bring you in and it will be better than you could have ever imagined. Saved to the uttermost. If what you are is in and you want out, all you need do is ask. And you will be so far out that the quail will come out of your nose. This is not the sense in which Jesus intended these words to be received, though. He's speaking to people who felt outside and beckoning them in. Turn with me to the 25th chapter of Matthew. 25th chapter. We've got a parable of ten virgins. Since I don't have time to read the parable and explain it to you, let's start in the tenth verse. We've got virgins, some with oil and some without. But while they were on their way to buy oil, let's start in the ninth verse, seventh verse, 
Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. At times, the door in the gospel is presented as wide open, come all, come all, come all. At other times, there is a frightening prospect much like the ark of Noah. There is a day in which it slams shut. This is why today is the day of grace. Today is the day of salvation and you are not guaranteed tomorrow. Ask Herod. How many times in Herod's life do you think he said something stupid? But on one day when he said something stupid, he got struck down and was eaten by worms. There should be a certain fear and a certain love and a certain respect for our God. Because many times we found ourselves on the wrong side of the door simply by deluded thinking. And He reached out a hand through a servant and snatched us back inside. This was mercy and it was awesome. Many times we were on the outside and didn't think there was a way in. And He said, hey, you knocked and I want you. I don't care if nobody else wants you. I want you. And I'm going to make something of you too. This ought to build in us a debt of gratitude, but we need not deceive ourselves. There is a day coming where the door to the ark, the door to the house, the door to the sheep's pen, all of those doors slams shut. It's actually barred so that it cannot be opened. Isn't that bad news if a door is closed and cannot be opened and you're on the wrong side of it? That's bad news, isn't it? Read one more scripture like that, Luke 13, and after it, one more, then we close. I want you to hear how Jesus says this. In Luke 13, pick up with me in the 22nd verse. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as He made His way to Jerusalem. Someone asked Him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? What a straightforward question. You can't get to be a moderator for PBS asking questions like this. Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort. Saints, Matt, why don't you say this with me? Make every effort. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Today is the day in which we find God's mercy and we need to swim in it. There is a day coming when what he has shut, no one can open. There's good news, though. You ever wait in line and the window shut right when you got to the front? People standing in a FEMA line hoping for a check and the office closed when they got up there. I was at Six Flags when I was a little kid and I waited in line and waited in line and waited in line because I wanted to ride the Texas Cyclone. 
I got to the front of the line and the park was closing and they put up the chain. What a horrible feeling. Turn with me to Revelation, the third chapter. We have just firmly established the fact that God can shut a door and no man can open it. But that is not the only thing that our God does. In the third chapter, He doors many times, but I want to draw your attention to the seventh verse. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of Him who is holy and true who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Saints, what I want to close with tonight is not that God shuts a door and that it can't be opened. But for those of us who refuse to deny His name, even if it is your last ounce of strength, He says nobody can shut the door that He's opened for you. The Vatican can't do it. Missouri cannot do it. I cannot do it. There is no one in this world that can prevent you from the presence of God. There is a day coming where your own denial of Him may keep you from His presence. But there is never a day, at least not while it's called today, that the door that He's opened for you can be shut by any man. This is good news, saints. Then the question becomes, what keeps you? What keeps you? Let's get on the right side of Jesus because on the other side, sin is crouching and waiting to have us. And you can see, all it does is bring shame and death. But Jesus is a barrier between us and it, and He gives us the ability to do what Cain did not do. Master it. I do not have to live as a slave to sin anymore. i got a deadbolt on my heart. I have been purchased by Jesus. And I must master sin. Y'all stand to your feet with me. It's 8.35 and that's just the best I could do 